I had to make this point in the first service today. Andy said we're kind of on the downhill side of this whole remove the high places thing. What he failed to mention, though, is that the stores have Cadbury eggs now. <laughs> and uh, I found them this week. And it was not good. So I just I confessed that earlier in the first service, and I don't want to leave you out. I ate Cadbury eggs on Thursday. Uh, it was definitely related to stress. And, um, yeah, so I'm sorry. If you could hold me accountable moving forward, I really like Cadbury eggs. So these next couple of weeks are going to be really, really tough. The hardest part of Remove the High Places for me. So, uh, anyway, my name is Josh. I get to open God's Word with you this morning. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our series called Alelon, the Greek word for one another. And today we're looking at the command, bear with one another. To set the tone, I want to tell you a little bit of a story about a difficult uh, time in my life. And I, I didn't know it was difficult when I was in it. Turns out it was just difficult for the people around me. Uh, I was a, a second year Bible college student. It was like 2008, 2009. And I had a whole year of Bible college training under my belt at that point. Lots of scripture reading, lots of academic training. And uh, what it means to be a, a second-year Bible college student is that you know everything that there is to be known about scripture and theology and philosophy, and you are the authority on everything. You have formed very, very, very strong opinions, and you become a little bit, uh, a little bit annoying. So my mind was expanding, but my spiritual maturity was not keeping up with where my mind was going. I, was, I had outsmarted my maturity level. And uh, so you put that academic training and my immaturity together, and what you get is a, a really opinionated, really annoying second-year Bible college student. And, you know, I was kind of sure at this point that I had everything figured out. I was sure that uh, I could clearly see the problems of the modern church. I was sure that my theological positions were the only ones that were right and defensible and okay I was sure that if a congregation would just let me after it one day and let me do what I want to do, then they would be like the epitome, they would be acts too, you know, happening right there in a local church. And I was a little bit of a contrarian. You, do you know those people that are like waiting in any given conversation to jump in and be like, well, actually, that, that was me. That was me. It was really bad. I was quick to speak and slow to listen. And, uh, you know, I wasn't being malicious with this. It's just where I was Developmentally, it's where I was as far as my relationship with the Lord. It was where I was in my, my academic career. And during this time, there were a couple of very, very wise men in my life. One was a professor. His name was Dwayne Waldrop. He taught history, church history. And the other was a, a pastor at a local church. His name was Nathan Williams. And these two men would invite me into their offices, invite me to coffee, and we would spend time together. And I would, I would come and I would sort of air out all of my very, very strong opinions, and despite my, uh, let's call them issues, despite my issues, despite my arrogance, despite my pride, despite my certainty in and of myself, these men kept at it with me. They never avoided me. They never canceled our coffee dates. They never put distance between us. They continued to show up, and they continued to show me grace. They continued to show me love. They would occasionally ask probing questions of some of my sweeping statements, and the one I hated the most, they'd say, and why would you say that? Don't ask me that, Dwayne. Leave me alone. <laughs> they would speak wisdom to me whenever I, they thought that I could receive it, and they were never harsh with me. They were never rude with me. They never called me to task, and they never belittled my ideas. What these men were doing is what Scripture calls 
bearing with someone, bearing with one another. That command to bear with one another we're looking at today implies something that some of you may find a little bit troubling, and the reality is, is this, we're all a little bit annoying. Like we've all got our things. So in the spirit of experimenting like Andy did earlier in the service, I'd like for you to maybe just pick one person around you, look at them just real quick, and you can just tell them you're annoying. (laughs) Go ahead, I'll give you a minute. Now, with the same... With the same zeal, with the same zeal, I want you to look at them again, and I want to make sure it's the same person. Look at them again and say, and I'm annoying too. Go ahead and own that. There you go. That's good. I was afraid I was going to hear a lot more you're annoyings than I'm annoying, so thanks for helping me out with that. I just want to get that on the table because we all have our things, right? Like you may not be a Bible college student, a second year Bible college student, but you've got your stuff. Right, like There are things in you, personality traits, ways that you relate with people, maybe even the way that you laugh. Whatever it is, there's something about you that gets at people, that makes it difficult for people to be around you. And over time, in a fellowship like this one, what happens is those little things that seem like little things, they're just little pet peeves, or they're little immaturities, they're not necessarily ways that we sin against each other, they're just annoyances where we rub each other the wrong way, they start to sink in and they start to produce division. They start to cause us to avoid one another. And what started off as a little thing becomes a very big thing in our hearts. And even though if you take it and write it down on a piece of paper, you're like, oh, that's a really little thing. But all of a sudden, you're just really, really upset with this person for the way they do pretty much anything. Now this person can do no right, you know? You, and what happens is we put space there. We we start to avoid these people. If we see them at Walmart going down one aisle, we're like, on to the next, right? Or you come in on Sunday morning and you're walking into the foyer and you realize, or the whatever that's lobby, whatever it's called, you realize they're on one side. You're like, I'll go to this other one. Make sure that I don't have to talk to them on my way through the lobby. While we may annoy each other, the reality is for the church, we need each other. We have to have each other. And you need those people that annoy you just as much as you need the people that you like and enjoy. So how do we hold annoying each other and need for one another? Intention. That's what Scripture calls bearing with one another. One place where that's found in Scripture is in Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me there. Ephesians 4, we'll read verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That command to bear with one another, I want you to see uh, here on the screen, it's really buried into this passage, right? Like there's, there's a lot going on here, and that bearing with one another is just one little bitty sliver, one little bitty uh, peace. And in fact, that's not the main point of what Paul's getting at in this passage. Like his main point isn't, you guys should bear with one another, now we're going to move on to another topic. So rather than isolate bearing with one another, what I wanted us to do today is to kind of zoom out and take a big picture look and say, what is Paul doing with Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, and how does that inform the way that we think about bearing with one another. Because even though it's not the main point of the passage, it's certainly a very important point 
of the passage. So let's zoom out and take a look here. The main exhortation, the main point of this passage is found in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's exhorting us, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Anybody remember back in the day when you used to go to the store with your parents before Amazon dropped everything off on your front porch? Nobody. Good. Okay. It's, Amazon's been around for a long time. So when I would go to the store with my mother, because apparently it's an experience that only I've had, um, when I would go to the store with my mother, I would do something. I would touch stuff. I would ask for things. I would kind of be all over the place, and she'd say, Josh, Act your, you heard it too. See, see, you've been there. Act your age, and that is act in a way that matches the maturity that you should have. Act in a way that is in accord with what is true of you. That's what Paul means here when he says act in a manner, walk in a manner, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Some, Some believers have taken this passage and they use it as a means of just beating themselves up throughout the Christian life. It's like, I'm just trying to live worthy. I'm just trying to live up to what God's God's done for me. I'm spending my whole life trying to pay him back. Newsflash, you're never going to pay him back. Right? Like, you're never going to get there. What he's saying, walk in accord with who you are. Walk in accord with what he has made true of you. And that begs the question, what has God made true of us? Did you see in the, in the passage, there's a little word there in verse 1. The word is therefore. And when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ask, what is it? Therefore. There we go. Very good job. Yes, what is it therefore? And what Paul is doing with that word is he's pointing the Ephesians back to chapters 1 through 3. And his main thing there in Ephesians 1 through 3 is communicating to the Ephesian believers who they are now in Christ. He's communicating to them their identity And one of the ways you can tell this, one, it's what he talks about. But notice, both times Paul stops to pray in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, both times he stops to pray, at the heart of those prayers is that we would have grace to grasp all that God has done for us. Have grace to grasp who we are now in him. And so all of that that he's talked about in Ephesians 1 through 3 is on Paul's mind here as he begins chapter 4. And he says, therefore, walk in this manner. So because of who you are because of who God has made you, here's now how I want you to walk. So you got to know, who, who are we in God? What does God say is true of us? Well, here's what he says. In Christ, we're not going to look at all of these. I'm just going to throw them up there. So if you want to grab your phone and snap a shot of this and uh, <clears throat> look up the verses later, I can't dive into them. But in Christ, we are blessed. We are chosen. We are adopted. That is, we're made part of God's family. We are redeemed. We are purchased by the blood of Christ. We are given an inheritance in him, we, uh, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and keeps us for the last day. We are saved by grace, through faith, for good works. That is Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10. We are now one new man. When we uh, come to trust Christ, we are placed into one body. We are baptized by one spirit into one body with Christ as the head. And we are now the dwelling place of God, that is, we are a temple. And what do temples do? Well, that is the the location of God's presence among us. It is the location of God's presence in the world. It is the the place where God meets with mankind. And now there's there's a unique thing about us as the church. We are the, the dwelling place of God. That's what makes it special when we gather together. There's something unique about the presence of God that is here with us when we gather together because we are now the temple. We are the temple 
of God. And now he says, walk according to this calling. Walk according to the calling to which you were called. This is who you are. No matter what you did last night, no matter how you feel this morning, no matter how bored with God you are today, no matter uh, how deeply entrenched you are in this sin pattern or how long you've been living that lie that you're clinging to, no matter what you've done, if you're in Christ, this is what is true of you today. And that changes absolutely everything. It should change everything about you. It should change the whole way you think about yourself, and it should change the way that we think about each other. We can no longer walk in sin and transgression like we did before we met Jesus. Now we walk in accord with what God has made true of us. We, we act our age. Now, how do we do that? How do we walk worthy of our calling? That is, I think, part of the main point of this passage. We walk worthy of that calling, and Paul then says, here's how you do it. And he's going to give us four different ways. And I want to draw your attention to the fact that the four ways we're about to look at are not a menu that you get to choose from. Where you say, well, I'll take a number one and a number four, but I don't want anything to do with numbers two and three. Okay, what, what Paul is saying is these four things together, collectively, this is how you walk in a manner uh, worthy of the calling to which you are called. If you're missing out on one of them, then your walk is somehow incomplete. And so let's, let's look at these. They're all interconnected with each other. The first way we walk worthy of our calling is to walk with humility and gentleness. Paul puts humility and gentleness here in this passage. For those of you who are a little grammatically nerdy, they're both governed by the same preposition. For the mass majority of you, we'll move on now. Uh, Paul puts humility and gentleness together. In his mind, these are two sides of the same coin. You don't have one of these things without the other one. So be humble with one another, right? Think of yourself appropriately. Don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think of yourself too much, Think of one another the appropriate amount and in the appropriate way. Also, be gentle. Be careful with the way your words and your actions impact others. When people begin to annoy us and to cause, <coughs> uh, and there's, there's tension between us, we're very quick to throw humility to the side and to think of ourselves only. And we're very quick to throw gentleness to the side and throw our weight around and make sure that that person gets what they deserve or they get a piece of my mind or they, you know, somehow get what is due, what is coming to them uh, for what they have done to us. But Paul says, no, we have to leave that behind. When people around us begin to grate on us, our fleshly reaction cannot be the one that wins. We have to put it away. We have to walk according to uh, the calling to which we are called. And one quick thing I want to point out, every one of these words um, or every one of these things that we're going to look at is actually uh, <clears throat> the implication is that there's, there's a reason that you wouldn't want to do it. So when Paul says, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called, being humble and gentle, the implication is somebody's done something to you and you don't want to be humble and gentle. So now let's look at number two with that kind of in mind. We walk worthy of our calling by being humble and gentle, and we walk worthy of our calling by being patient. In other words, there are people around you who are going to make you not want to be patient. There are people around you that you're not going to want to put up with. Now, down south, we have a saying 
when someone really agitates you. Maybe some of you have heard this. Uh, Andy had heard it, but he's from Missouri, and we know that's more southern than midwestern. Um, <clears throat> if somebody is frustrated with somebody in the south, you might hear them say, they're about to make me lose my religion. Y'all ever heard that? Y'all say that here in Wisconsin? Okay, yeah, so you say it here too. This per- they're about to make me lose my religion. And what they mean by that is this person is about to make me act in a way that is not in accord with what I say I believe. Right? Like they're, they're about to make me do something that doesn't line up with who I say I am. Being patient is the opposite of that. Being patient says, when a person makes me feel that way, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue, even when under pressure, to live in and act according to what is true of me. I'm going to continue to uh, be patient with this person, be careful with this person. It means to be long-suffering. It means to give people time. It means to hold up under provocation. When tempted to call someone to task over an offense or just to avoid someone, those are typically the two ways we fix tension in our midst, right? We blow up on them or we uh, avoid them. So when, when that is what we are tempted to, Paul says, just be patient. Just wait a little bit. Sure, that thing may need to be said, but it doesn't necessarily need to be said by you. It doesn't necessarily need to be said by you right now. Thanks, Dave Wilson. He gave me those questions. Third, we walk worthy of our calling by bearing with one another in love. The word literally means to put up with something that is annoying or harmful. So what Paul is saying here when he applies that to people is he's saying, put up with the people around you that you find annoying or harmful. And I don't think he means harmful in a sense of like someone's beating you and so you should just be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. You know, just kind of take it. What he's saying is if someone is harming you with their annoying actions or their annoying disposition or their annoying way of carrying themselves, bear with them. The word it means to, to put up with someone's faults, put up with someone's failures, to put up with someone's immaturity. It means continuing to accept them even when it feels like accepting them and staying near them is going to cost you your sanity. And some of you may read this and say, bear with one another. Like, that's easy. I do that every day of my life. Like, do you know my husband? Do you, do you know my wife? Have you met my kids? Like, have you been around them? Like, I bear with people all day, every day. This is no big deal. I haven't gone off on anyone yet today. I haven't told them what I really think of them. I haven't cut them off relationally. But Paul adds two little words that make this bearing with a really, really big deal. And the two little words are there at the end, in love. Does anybody remember Andy's definition of love from a couple of weeks ago? Giving yourself for the highest good of another. So what Paul is saying here, when we bear with one another in love, what we are doing is we are, we are putting up with staying close to someone who annoys us, someone who bothers us, as a means of putting them first, as a means of giving ourselves for their highest good. We don't bear with one another with a grimace on our face. We don't do it begrudgingly. We don't do it with a, well, I'm just going to put my head down and get through this one so I can get it over with. We bear with someone in love. We give ourselves for their highest good. That's what Dwayne Waldrop and Nathan Williams did for me as a young man. 
They, they, they sat with me, and I didn't know it at the time that that's what they were doing. And that's one of the things that I think makes bearing with each other difficult. Because oftentimes the person that we're bearing with doesn't know we're bearing with them. And oftentimes when we tell them that we're bearing with them, it all of a sudden makes it not very useful to bear with them. If we're like, hey, I'm bearing with you right now, boy, that, that doesn't have the long-term impact. But what these men did with me, they, were, they, they bore with me in, in the middle of uh, the height of my annoyance. And you guys are like, you were once more annoying? Yeah, I was. So they, they were there. They were present through all of that. And so now I look back and I say, wow, what a transformative impact they had on my life. What a powerful thing their quiet steadiness has done for me. Finally, we walk worthy of our calling by being eager to maintain unity. As the body of Christ, unity has already been given to us. Paul loves to, to let us know that. Like, Unity has been given to us by one spirit. We have enjoyed one baptism into one body of whom Christ is now the head. So unity is the gift of God to his church through his son, Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us into this one body. And what Paul says here is we walk worthy of our calling when we work hard to maintain the unity that God has already created. When we are zealous for it. When we go out of our way to make sure that as far as we can, we do not allow things in our midst that will break down that unity, that gift that God has given us. We work, walk worthy of our calling when we ensure those things that threaten our unity are dealt with quickly and with grace and with compassion. When we're proactive, when we're pushing toward unity, when it's not just part of our theological reality or, or when we're pushing towards unity, it's, it's no longer part just of our theological reality. It becomes part of our lived reality. It's not just what God says is true of us in neat books like Ephesians. It's what we feel when we're together. It's what we feel when we worship. It's what we feel when we fellowship with each other. It's what we feel when we're gathered around a kitchen table sharing a meal. And as we walk this way, as we walk with humility and gentleness, as we walk with patience, as we bear with one another in love, and as we are eager to maintain the unity that God has given to us, we walk worthy of the calling to which we were called. We act in accord with who God has said we are and who God has made us to be in his son. And because this is precisely, I want you to catch this part, we walk worthy of that calling because when we do this, like we're, it's considered worthy of that calling. Because when we do this, we're showing to the world the kind of love that Jesus has shown to us. Did you know that we as believers can be difficult people even for God? Like, did you know you can kind of wear God out with your wishy-washiness? Not that he'll ever be done with you, but man, we're often hot and then cold, and then hot, and then cold. We're often fickle. <laughs> Jesus even says in the New Testament, he's talking to his disciples, how long must I bear with you and your lack of faith? He uses the same word, bearing with one another. Our commitment to the Lord often fluctuates, rising and falling like a tide. Our service to him is often tainted with the resentment that we feel because of the obligation. <sighs> 
I have to serve today. You ever catch yourself saying that? I have to do this today. I catch myself sometimes when I'm like, I have to preach on Sunday. It's like, no, you get to preach on Sunday, man. Like you get to open God's word with God's people. What a privilege. All this, not to mention the fact that prior to God's working in our life, we were staunch enemies of him. We wanted nothing to do with him. We were the sole arbiter of morality in our own life. We decided what we did with our time, what we did with our money, what we did with our talents, how we spent ourselves in this life. And we took many of the gifts and the blessings that we have, and we took them for granted. We refused to thank him for them. We refused to acknowledge him as creator and giver of all that is good. And through, through all of this, through all of the problems, Jesus, he was humble and he came to serve us. He was gentle in the way that he spoke to us. And even today, he invites us, come, enjoy rest in me, no delight in me, no joy in me. Even today, he is patient with us. As we often wander and stray far from him, he's there. He is steady. He, he stays close. He bears with us in love. He continues to give himself for our highest good, even as he's already given himself ultimately for our highest good when he died on the cross. He has already given us unity in this room right now among this fellowship, grafting us together as part of the one man his body. When we emulate him, when we are humble and gentle and patient, when we bear with one another, when we strive to maintain unity, we proclaim to the world the supreme value of our Savior. When we do that, we're being a good temple of the Holy Spirit. We're showing not only the, the physical realm, but the spiritual realm, according to Paul, the principalities and the powers. We are putting on display the manifold wisdom of God. We set his love on display for all to see, and we walk worthy of the calling to which we're called. Let's pray real quick as we prepare our hearts to return to a time of worship through through song. Father, you have been good to us. You have been gracious and humble and gentle and patient. You have borne with us. You've given us unity. May we walk worthy of the calling to which we are called. May we learn to bear with one another well. May we, may, may we remain steady in the face of annoyance and provocation for one another's highest good. Thank you for your grace today that enables us to do that. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. What can I give to you? What can I offer to a king for all the love you've shown? cry out of the grave and into life my heart is yours my 
my soul is free. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. The rock of salvation, my hope is built on nothing less. Morning by morning, how great is your faithfulness. I called your name, you heard my cry. saving me thank you God for saving me thank you God for saving me for saving me you gave your life upon the cross you suffered once for all it wide 
Y'all can have a seat. I have seven minutes, and I'm going to use all of them. Uh, we're going to close by talking about forgiving others. Um, each message in this Alelon series has two parts. One is uh, one of the one another commands, and another is focused on a spiritual practice. What does it look like practically to actually follow Jesus? And today we're going to talk a little bit about forgiving others. The question is, what is forgiveness? When you think about the word forgiveness, oh, wait a minute, before I get too far into there, uh, can I have Ben and Elena stand up? I know what you guys did yesterday. You got married. Congratulations. And you know they love Jesus because they came to church the day after their wedding. So good job, you guys. Uh, thank you. Anyway, um, sorry I got distracted. Uh, okay, forgiveness. What comes to your mind when you hear the word forgiveness? It's interesting, uh, I read in the news this week about a little church in Washington, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis, called Peace Lutheran Church, this little congregation, and they decided to tackle a really big project. They were going to do everything they could to raise $15,000 to pay off the medical debt of one of their church members. So they started doing fundraisers, and God got involved, and sometimes when God gets in, well, every time when God gets involved, it goes beyond our expectations. So $2.7 million later, they had paid off medical bills for 824 people in Missouri. And as this story was being reported in the news, it said that hundreds of Missouri residents received a letter from the hospital saying their medical debt had been forgiven. So it's interesting, the word forgive is actually a financial word. When you have a debt that has been paid or you have been released from, your debt is forgiven just like Jesus paid it all all to him we owe we're forgiven so how does that apply in how we interact with one another um, well you know that saying forgive and forget it's not really that helpful <laughs> let's talk a little bit about what forgiving is not forgiving is not forgetting the hurt some people think that uh, if I if, if somebody has sinned against me and I'm hurt by that if I'm going to forgive them that means I have to stop feeling the pain so I either have to for stuff it way down or pretend like I'm okay when I'm not. That's not true. That's not what forgiving is. It's not forgetting the hurt. Uh, forgiving is not forgetting the consequences. If somebody lies to you, forgiving them does not mean that you now have to believe everything they say. If somebody has stolen from you, forgiving, from them, forgiving them does not mean you have to give them a key to your house. If you are in or have been in an abusive relationship, forgiving that person does not mean that you go back into that relationship. There are some times when uh, reconciliation may not be the best option for you. That doesn't mean that you cannot forgive. Sin has consequences and people have to bear those consequences even if we forgive them. Uh, a, a related point is that forgiving is not forgetting about justice. Some people say, well, if somebody has committed a crime and I forgive them for that crime, does that mean I can't press charges against them? Not at all. If somebody has uh, sexually harassed you or done something inappropriate to you or, or done something like, by all means, call the cops on them, throw their butt in jail. You could still forgive them. They have to answer for the, to justice for what they've done. That doesn't mean you're not forgiving them, right? So that saying, forgive and forget, it's not really very helpful in understanding what forgiveness is. So what is forgiveness? Or what does it mean to forgive somebody? It's basically, uh, forgiving means releasing a debt 
that somebody owes you. That's not necessarily a financial debt, but somebody has sinned against you. They owe you a debt, and forgiving them simply means I'm going to release that person from the debt that they owe me. I'm not going to hold this against you any longer, right? I'm not going to hurt you the way that you hurt me. You caused me pain. I have a right to cause you an equal amount of pain, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to forgive, right? I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. I'm going to release that debt. You know when you buy a house and the bank sells your mortgage to another lender? That's kind of what forgiveness is. You owe me a debt, but I'm not going to carry around the burden of collecting that debt from you. I'm going to pass it on to God, and I'm going to let God worry about collecting that debt. That's not my part to play. That's not my role to play. I've, uh, in pastoral counseling, I've, I've counseled a lot of people that need to forgive somebody who's already died. You say, well, how can I forgive that person? They're dead. They can't repent. Well, that's okay. All you're doing is saying, I'm not going to carry around the burden of that debt anymore. I'm going to release it into God's hands. I'm going to choose to forgive them. And I will let God sort that out on judgment day. He's the debt collector, not me. Forgiving simply means to release a debt somebody owes you. How do we do that? I want to just have one really quick uh, point that shows you how to do that. And basically it's this. Stop counting and start forgiving. Jesus said uh, in in Matthew chapter 18, Peter came up to Jesus and he's like, look, uh, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, "I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus was not saying, keep a record. And after 77 times, you don't have to forgive anymore. No, he's saying, don't count. In my house, uh, my kids just learned that Googleplex is a real number. It's the highest named number. Um, and so in our, in our house, this conversation might go like this. Elliot comes up and says, Dad, how many times do I have to forgive Jack? A thousand times? And I might say, no, a Googleplexian times, right? Th- that's the point. You don't count. Just do it. If you want to start forgiving people, just start letting them go from the debt that they owe you. Stop keeping a record of wrongs. Now, I could talk a lot more about what forgiveness is, but sometimes it helps to see a real example of forgiveness in our world. A couple of weeks ago, there was uh, a women's conference called the If Gathering, and one of the speakers at the conference, Jenny Allen, interviewed a pastor from Ukraine. And so I just want to show you a couple-minute clip of her conversation with him, and this comes right at the end of their interview. So let's watch this together. In the church. Oh yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of prayer going on right now, and um, um, we we even need to mobilize even more people mm. to pray, uh, to pray for safety of our people, to pray for separated families, to pray for orphans, for grieving wives. Mm. Um, provision for those who lost their jobs because of this, uh, for emotional health, and of course the end of the war, of, of this terrible and unneeded war. We want to pray for you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for being with us tonight. We're so grateful, Vadim, for your faith and courage. And yeah, we are all praying with you, but we want to pray with you before you go. It's 3 a.m., Vadim has, has joined us in the middle of the night in Ukraine. 
Thank you, guys. And I, I, I guess I just wanted to say one more thing about yeah. this whole thing. Um, yes, Russian Federation invaded our country. Yes, they caused all that that had happened. But um, what Putin does doesn't necessarily represent every Russian mm. that lives in Russia. And so I would love for you to pray also for um, Russian people so that um, we got our, over 10,000 soldiers from Russian army died mm. within these nine days. Mm. So you have 10,000 families who lost their sons, husbands, mm. brothers. And so uh, we would love for, for you all to just pray for that, for those families as well, the Lord to comfort them and, and, and also bring confusion to the Russian army. Uh, so that they would actually stop doing what they're doing. Mm. We really need, mm. uh, we need to stop, you know, having people die. I guess that's, that's the heart's desire of everyone, mm. of, uh, of ours, yeah. We're going to raise our hand. So I don't know if you caught the, all that with his accent, but he requested prayer for the Russian people. This was uh, interviewed nine days into the conflict, and 10,000 Russian soldiers had died, and he said that's 10,000 Russian families that lost a dad, that lost a son, that lost a brother. The people that are invading my country, yeah, can you pray for them? Who does that? That's forgiving others. That's what it looks like. And if we do that, when, this, when Satan throws whatever he throws against us and we say, hey, pray for those people who are carrying out that evil against us, what else does Satan have? He's defeated because we have acted in love and forgiven one another. Uh, let's stand and, and end this way. Uh, it's, we commonly speak a blessing over you as you go, but let's speak a corporate statement together um, uh, and we don't do this often, but let's read this statement out loud. This is just, uh, sometimes, again, when I'm counseling people, I encourage them to speak a truth out loud because it changes. It, it's different than if you just pray it in your heart. Uh, that's why when I lead people to Christ, I, I want them to pray out loud to receive Christ because something changes. I don't know exactly how that works in the brain or in the spiritual realm or in the soul, but when we speak a truth out loud, it changes uh, in, in the world. So let's speak this truth together out loud. We are a forgiven people who do not seek vengeance, harbor bitterness, or hold grudges when others sin against us. We forgive them just as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. Because we have been forgiven much, we love much. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week.